This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. If you find it uncomfortable to deal with difficult people and highly emotional problems, stay tuned. Our guest is distinguished attorney Doug Knoll, who has a lot to say about how we can improve our skills in handling such situations. Whether you're faced with an angry boss, colleague, client, or family member, Doug says you can learn the skills necessary to keep your cool when dealing with someone who's upset and out of control. Doug is the co-founder of the award-winning Prison of Peace Project, which teaches long-term inmates in maximum security prisons to be peacemakers and mediators. Doug's latest book is called De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. Doug, we thank you so much for joining us, and we can really use your advice. Ladies, I'm glad to be here. Hope I can help. You were a business and commercial trial lawyer for 22 years before you decided to shift the focus of your work to problem solving and peacemaking. Why did you decide to move in that direction? It was a uh, personal growth. I think I, I had uh, I, I had achieved a secondary black belt with my in a with in a northern Chinese kung fu style. And my teacher at that time said, "You're too arrogant. You're t- too much of an asshole. You're a lawyer. I'm not teaching you anymore until you master Tai Chi." So he sent me off to Tai Chi school, and I <clears throat> studied under a master and, and learned two paradoxes. The first is the softer you are, the stronger you are. And the second is the more vulnerable you are, the more powerful you are. So soft to be strong, vulnerable to be powerful. Did not compute. But I kept practicing and training in Tai Chi, and eventually it absorbed into my soul until one day I was in a courtroom cross-examining somebody and the thought came to me out of the blue, what the heck am I doing in here? And that was when I made the fateful decision to really rethink my career. I had a vacation planned right after that trial, so I spent 10 days on a whitewater trip thinking about my work and ultimately concluded I no longer wanted to be a trial lawyer. And I didn't know what I was going to do. But when I came back from that trip, I drove down out of the mountains to my office and heard a public service announcement for a new master's degree program in peacemaking and conflict studies being offered at Fresno Pacific University. And ultimately, I enrolled so that in my late 40s, I was back in graduate school, full-time master's degree student, three-quarters time law professor, and a full-time trial lawyer. And for the next three or four years, it was a bit of a crazy time. Wow. And that's what happened. And then I had a lot of discussions with my partners because I was the second biggest money earner in the firm. And I was having a lot of discussions about, well, you know, we could build a, a problem solving practice. We don't have to all be trial lawyers. And they didn't like the idea. So ultimately, um, the managing partner basically called, bluffed me with a threat. I called his bluff and gave notice and walked away with one week's notice and left $10 million on the table. Wow. So what advice would you offer then to people who feel like they're good at a job, they're making really good money, but don't feel the satisfaction that they want to in terms of following their passion? Well, I 
I, I can tell you that it's a big step and it takes a lot of courage. I did everything I told my clients never to do. I didn't have any, I didn't have a business plan. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of resources, but I just decided to let the universe provide. And I had a lot of talent and I had all these ideas around peacemaking and conflict resolution that I really wanted to pursue. And so I just did it. And I don't make m nearly as much money today as I did then, but I, I help more people in a week than I helped in 22 years as a trial lawyer. And I'm doing some phenomenal stuff. So I'd say that the advice I would give is really, really question whether or not you need the big car, the big house, the country club, and all that stuff. I, I live with my beautiful and incredible wife on 10 acres in the central Sierra Nevada, and we have a small home, very, very modest, but it's beautiful here. And I've learned that money is not the driver here. Um, life satisfaction and fulfillment is really the driver to happiness. And I've never been happier in my life than I am right now. It's amazing. When we look at the title of your book, De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less, it seems like, wow, how can that possibly be done? So what is the first step in doing that? And one other thing, I heard you say that you actually don't need more than 30 to 45 seconds and that your <laughs> publisher said that you needed to make it a little longer. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, there were lots of interesting stories around the book and, and uh, beyond words, Adrian, Simon and Schuster about how the book came about and or rather how we delivered the manuscript and everything else. But yes, when we were talking about the title, um, I was saying, how did you escalate a person in 30 seconds? And they said, no one's going to buy a book. That's just unbelievable. And I said, well, it's true. And they said, no, no, no. So we negotiated and they said 90 seconds is good enough. So, so that's how it happened. So the, all of this is based on neuroscience. And what, we, what I've learned in a deep study, I've been studying neuroscience since my master's degree studies in the mid-90s when nobody even knew what neuroscience was, is, is that we, how we think things are and what we, specifically about human nature and how we react to each other and are with each other is not what it seems. In fact, it's almost the opposite of what it seems. And so we've got all of these conventional wisdoms that have been passed down for thousands of years that turn out to be completely wrong. And when you start applying science to this stuff, you start getting some really interesting results, like being able to calm an angry person in 90 seconds or less. And it's all based on brain scanning studies that show what happens. So the, t the technique, the first step that you asked about is, is for, all of this is very counterintuitive. The first step is ignore the words. Ignore them. You've got an angry person. Maybe they're shouting at you. Maybe they're shouting at somebody else. You just ignore what they're saying. You don't ignore the person, but you just ignore the words. You don't need to listen to those words. And it becomes important to learn how to do this because you've got to counter-program everything you learned in childhood, which was pay attention to the words, and what you learned in school, pay attention to the words. When you're calming somebody down, that's the last thing you want to pay attention to because those angry words are likely to get you triggered and make you reactive and lose control. If you just ignore the words, they become white noise, you don't even hear it anymore, then it frees up your brain to do the next two steps, which is step number two is to, and this is the second counterintuitive idea, which is you're going to read the emotional data fields of that angry person. What most people don't realize is that emotions are data information, just like numbers in a spreadsheet. And we have an innate ability in our human brains to read those emotions as data 
effortlessly, effectively, and accurately. But because our society is so biased against emotions and so biased in favor of this myth of rationality, and just as an aside, there's no such thing as rationality, by the way, um, just because we're so biased that we never develop this innate ability that we have. But it's really fast and easy to do it. So step number two is that you allow your brain to do what it's designed to do by evolution and read the emotions of another person. And you learn, as I teach people how to do this, people learn that, that emotions come in layers. So somebody's really angry, but they're also going to feel disrespect. They're going to be frustrated. They're going to be anxious. They might be frightened. They might be sad. They might be humiliated or, or embarrassed. They might feel betrayed. They might feel unappreciated. I mean, there's just usually six or seven emotions come with anger. So you read all those emotions. What's going on? What's going on with the stuff that is is um, what's, what's going on with what's obvious and then what's underneath all of that? And then the third step, and this is where the secret sauce is, you're going to reflect back the emotions. You're literally going to tell the person what they're feeling with a simple use statement. So, Laura, 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 I might say to you, oh, Laura, you are really angry. You feel completely betrayed. You are unsupported. You feel disrespected. You're unappreciated. The whole thing is just really unfair to you. And it's making you anxious and confused. And you're sad because you expected support where you didn't get it. And you feel completely abandoned and all alone and completely unloved. Basically, what you're going to be doing is telling a people, tell this angry person what their emotional experience is. And that's very counterintuitive because we're not used to telling people how they're feeling. But what the brain science shows is that when we label, it's called affect labeling, when we label somebody else's emotions, the emotional centers of the brain calm down while the prefrontal cortex, which is the executive function, comes back online. And they literally calm down in 30 to 90 seconds. It happens every single time without failure. So if you, if you tell me that, if you say, hey, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling not listened to, you're feeling sad, I think the next thing I would want to know is, yeah, you get it. So what are you going to do about it? How are we going to come to a compromise or how am I going to get you on my side? Good question. So as I teach all of my graduate students and all my other students, for that matter, is de-escalate, then problem solve. The mistake that people make too often is they go to problem solving before they calm people down. So what we want to do is calm them down, and then we can decide what kind of problem solving uh, process we have to go into. And it could be a simple talk, talking it out. It could be negotiation. It could be more formal mediation. There are all kinds of problem solving processes that you can engage in, but none of them work until the people are calm. And so that's the first task, get people calmed down. And what I have found is that 90% of the time, once you calm people down, they can solve their own problem and you don't have to do anything else. Interesting. Yeah. And I know you say you can help another person and should help another person solve a problem without giving advice. Yes. So, so how do you do that? Because I think a lot of us have the tendency to jump right in there and tell somebody what to do. Right. And so first of all, let's examine why do we have that tendency? And it's to soothe our own anxiety. There's a part of our brain, if we're not trained, 
to manage our own anxiety, to be aware of and manage our own anxiety, we're just going to automatically be anxious around the emotions of another person. And part of our brain is saying, if I can stop them from feeling what they're feeling, it's going to make me feel better. So it's really quite selfish. So we immediately jump into problem solving unconsciously with the idea that if I can fix their problem, they'll stop feeling bad and that'll make me feel good. So that's why we do it. Now, the trick here is to let the person solve his or, own, his or her own problem by simply asking questions. So you'll say, for example, so you'll listen to them, you'll reflect back their emotions, and eventually you'll get to a place where you can offer a problem statement. So your problem is X, and your goal is Y. And you get an affirmative response. And then the next part of the question is, what have you tried? What's worked, what hasn't worked? And then you go to the next question, which is, well, what other things could you try that you haven't tried yet? And then finally, at the end, if they're completely stymied and don't have any good solutions, and you do see a way out for them, you never offer advice. What you do is ask them something like this. You say, you know, I've seen this problem a lot, and I've seen a lot of other people with this kind of problem. Would you be interested in knowing how other people have approached this problem? And of course, they're going to say yes. And he said, well, what I've seen other people do is X, Y, Z. Notice that I never gave advice myself. What I did was offer up what I've seen other people do. And by doing that, I don't put the monkey on my back. I keep the monkey on the person with the problems back. That's so that so I don't have to be responsible or accountable for, the, for, for, for a solution that may not work for them. Well, why shouldn't you apologize to somebody or try to appease them? Why is that a bad approach? The reason that we, you don't want to apologize or appease is because, okay, so first of all, don't apologize until you've calmed calm somebody down and you are truly know that you are the cause of the problem, that you really do have caused an offense. Most of the time, you're not the cause of the offense. And if you try to apologize or appease when a person is escalated, you're triggering a visceral reaction in the polyvagal system. And that person is going to look at you, that person's looking for safety and is going to see you as weak. And that's just going to make them even angrier because they're going to feel more unsafe. And have you ever noticed if you try to appease or justify or explain, rationalize or apologize to an angry person, it just makes them angrier. And that's because you are triggering what's known as the unmyelinated un un side of their polyvagal system, which causes them to see you as being dangerous and, in an, of course, an unconscious way. And you don't want to do that. So you need to calm them down by affect labeling, listening to and reflecting back their emotions. And then when they're calm, you can make a determination. Did I contribute to this upset? If so, is it appropriate for me to apologize? You talk a lot about emotional invalidation. And you say it doesn't help to tell someone, get over it or grow up or stop feeling sorry for yourself. Why are those things we should avoid? They are telling a person how to feel. They're telling a person not to feel or to feel differently. They tend to be judgmental and they tend to be critical and they tend to be put downs. It's the worst thing you can do to a child. And yet all parents do it. It is the most insidious and pervasive form of emotional abuse that exists on the planet, human being to human being. And we could have a long discussion about why, why this is horrible, horribly abusive to children. 
Um, but, at the, but at the end of the day, we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. And when we invalidate each other's emotions, we are invalidating that which makes us human. And, so, it, and over the long term, it's, it creates incredible emotional damage. So what do we do? What should we do instead? Instead of, valid, instead of invalidating the emotions, validate them through this, this three-step process we're talking about. Ignore the words, read the emotions, reflect back the emotions with a simple use statement. You do it with children, you do it with adults. And if you do that, instead of, doing, instead of the typical emotional invalidation, oh, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Oh, 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 I do listen to you. All of that, really awful. Instead, just validate the emotions. Well, then how should you react if you, those kinds of uh, things are, are being said to you? If somebody says, calm down or tries to tell you how to feel? Then you have to learn how to affect label yourself. So, so if somebody did that to me, I'd say, oh, I'm really angry right now. I'm really frustrated. I'm pissed off. I don't feel listened to. I don't feel heard. I don't feel respected. I'm a little anxious and confused. I'm feeling sad because I feel all alone because this person's not with me. And all of a sudden, I'm calm. And, it, and they won't invalidate me anymore because my emotions have dissipated. What's your sense as to the impact of the pandemic on, on all of this, the, the kinds of feelings that we have, the bottled up emotions that we may have, the frustrations. What advice would you have for, for people who are kind of having trouble in the, in the midst of the pandemic? Yeah, it, we, we hit a perfect storm, didn't we, between political polarization and the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and so there are a lot of people out there that are suffering emotionally. They're just really angry, super angry. So... In my view, what we really need to do for long-term health and happiness is learn how to become emotionally competent, learn how to become aware of our emotions, learn how to regulate our emotions, or at least regulate our behaviors around our emotions, and also learn empathy, the two basic forms of empathy being cognitive and affective empathy. These are skills that have to be taught to people. They're not innate. It's like reading and writing. Uh, but when we learn emotional competency, our emotions around the frustrations of the pandemic or the frustrations of political polarization no longer bother us. And we begin to see people for who they really are, emotional beings having emotional moments. And that allows us to have compassion and understanding and patience. And we no longer get upset when other people are emotional and we no longer feel anxious or nervous around people when they get emotional because we are calm inside ourselves. So my advice is, Go out and if, if you are really, really facing anger, a lot of anger inside yourself and you and you're want to change and grow, learn how to become emotionally competent, using, basically using the skills that we're talking about today. I feel like it's one thing to use those skills on social media or when talking to a friend, but it's a whole nother to think about the holidays coming up and the discussions that we're going to have with family members we haven't seen in years. And we, we don't want it to become heated at all. So how can we deescalate a situation that's kind of going awry if it's during a family <laughs> right, Too much wine, too many bottles of wine, too much whiskey out there. I, exactly. I, hey, I hear you. I've been guilty of it myself in the past. Uh, so what's really interesting, at least in my experience, and my wife and I have experienced this together, is that 
when we're in the midst of a social gathering and we are listening to emotions, we find that most people don't ever ask us about ourselves. We, In fact, nobody is ever interested in who we are, what we do, what we've done, because we are listening them into existence. They're more interested in having us listen to them than they are in listening to us. So if you can put yourself in a place during a holiday social gathering where you are more interested in, in listening to the emotions of the people around you and, when appropriate, reflecting back those emotions, you will find yourself not getting so reactive and not getting so triggered. Now, obviously, if you consume alcohol, <laughs> you know, you're going you're gonna to lose some inhibition and, and it becomes a little bit more difficult. But the more you practice this, even in the next couple of weeks, you know, we have a month before Thanksgiving. Um, as you, as, if you practice this even for two or three weeks, what happens is you start to see the pe- you start to see people f- as emotional beings, which is what they really are. And all of a sudden, their foibles and their weirdness and their crazy things they say no longer are bothersome because you recognize they are simply reflections of the emotional experience that people are having right now. And that's okay. It's okay for them to have those emotions. Now, how yeah. do you use this this process when you are dealing with, say, a family member who is sad or grieving and you don't know what to say and you know there's really nothing you can say to, to help them over a loss? The best thing you can do is, again, reflect back the emotions. So you've got grief. So I would say to somebody who is grieving over, it could be a loss of a loved one, a pet, it could be anything. Oh, you're really sad. You feel like you're all alone, you feel abandoned, and there's just this big hole in your heart that you don't think will ever fill. And it's, it's, it's devastating. And you're confused. And you're worried. And you're a little angry that, that this person left you where you are. And you just don't know what to do with yourself. And that's all you have to say. And what will happen is, of course, they will have it be eternally grateful because you've actually heard them. You haven't invalidated them. You haven't tried to diminish their grief. All you have done is acknowledged the emotional experience that they're having in the moment. You have listened them into existence. And that's the best thing you can do for somebody who's in a lot of grief. How have you used all of these skills and techniques that you've learned to to deal with people in your Prison of Peace project, which I think is just fascinating and everyone's going to want to learn about? Yeah. So when we when Laurel Coffer and I started Prison of Peace at the request of a woman serving a, a, a life sentence without possibility of parole in the largest, most violent women's prison in the world, which was here in California back in 2010, we decided that we were going to be teaching a cadre of students who had zero skills as peacemakers or mediators. So we had to start at the beginning. And the very first skill we teach them is reflective listening. And the highest level of reflective listening is affect labeling, reflecting emotions. We teach that on the very first day. And then we reinforce it throughout the curriculum. It takes a year for an inmate to go from ground zero to become an accomplished peacemaker and mediator. Uh, a year of training, and we reinforce these skills, the, this particular skill, throughout the curriculum in all sorts of different ways, so that by the time they become mediators, they can sit down with two people who would rather stab each other than talk and keep everything calm and, and collected. And the reason that we 
chose to use affect labeling is because it works every single time without failure. And let me tell you something. When you walk into a maximum security prison and you're dealing with people who have probably murdered other people and where violence is on the edge every moment, you don't want to teach them something that's not going to work. You can only teach them stuff that will, you know will work because lives are at stake. And so that's why we teach affect labeling as one of our four levels of reflective listening because we know it works. The science is there to support it. The old active listening stuff from the 1960s that Thomas Gordon created, nonviolent communication, Rosenberg stole Gordon's stuff and rebranded it in nonviolent communication, alternatives to violence in prison. Uh, it's a Quaker program. None of that stuff works when you're dealing with really angry people prone to violence. And so that's, that's how it starts. And then we teach in the Prison of Peace Project over a period of a year, our students learn over 200 different peacemaking skills that ultimately accumulate to a place where they become certified mediators and have done remarkable work in stopping prison violence. In the 15 Cal we're in 15 California prisons. We're in a prison in Connecticut, 12 prisons in Greece. We've got startups in northern Italy and in Nairobi and a whole bunch more people interested. We're so glad to have you as part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. And you know, if this year has taught us anything, it's that tomorrow may look nothing like today. But Schwab knows that successful financial planning can help propel net worth by 2.7 times. That's why Schwab offers a variety of easy, flexible financial planning options that can rise to meet any of life's many curveballs. Whether it's making a complimentary retirement plan online or chatting directly with a financial consultant anyone can look forward to planning with Schwab. Learn more at schwab.com slash plan. That's schwab.com slash plan. Doug, our show is called Nobody Told Me, and we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about de-escalating anger or peacemaking in general or emotional invalidation? What what are some of the key things that you had to learn the hard way that you'd really like to pass on to others? Number one, forget about rationality. We've been lied to for 4,000 years by philosophers and theologians who've told us that what separates us from other animals is that our rationality. That is an absolute falsehood lie. It's been... Pro propagated for thousands of years, and it is the source of just about every kind of emotional abuse that you can think of. And just by way of example, Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo in the 5th century, was charged with the Church Fathers for constructing the, what now is the Catholic theology. And he, he made a statement that I was really significant, which was, you can only get to prison, you can only get to heaven through reasoning, and women can't reason, therefore they can't go to heaven. And that was the source of the theology that has led to the, for example, the sexual abuse in the Catholic Church and all kinds of other abuses in the name of power. If we look at reality, we are emotional beings, not rational beings. We are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. And nobody told me that. I had to figure that one out on myself. The second thing is that when we listen to another person into existence by reflecting back their emotional experience, we can calm them down very, very quickly, in less than a minute and a half. And more importantly, we can validate them in such a deep way that they are eternally grateful that they have been listened to by you. And it's a gift you can give to any person that costs you nothing. Nobody ever told me that one either. I had to figure that one out on my own. 
And those are the two most important things that I've I learned agree more. in all of this. God, they're yeah. just, they make so much yeah. sense. And I know people are going to want to check out your book because it's great. And your wisdom really, it just, it stuck with me. So how can people do that and connect with you online? I've got, uh, I'm, I've got a webpage uh, for everybody who's listening. And let me give you the URL. And then I'll give you my general URL to my web, website. So if people go to Doug Noll, D-O-U-G-N-O-L-L dot C-O slash nobody told me, all one word, no hyphens. On that page, there will be a, a link to a free ebook that explains everything that I've talked about with you guys in detail, a link to purchase my book uh, off of Amazon, a link to the a, a video de-escalate online course I've created, and a link to my emotional competency courses. So you can go from free to you know, a pretty good investment in yourself, depending upon what you want. And that will also um, give you access into my general website, which is dougnoll.com, C-O-M, not C-O, which has 70 or 80 blog articles and links to all my YouTube stuff. I mean, tr tremendous number of resources for people who are interested in learning more about this. And, of course, people can always email me at dougnoll.com or Doug at DougNoll.com. I'm a one-man guy. I don't have a huge entourage. I don't have personal assistance or any of that stuff. I'm and then the website for Prison of Peace is uh, prisonofpeace.org? Correct. It's, uh, we're so busy with the project, we haven't really updated the website recently, but prisonofpeace.org will give you some of the stories and, and photographs and, and a video that we did back in 2012, which still makes me cry today when I watch it. Um, I mean, it's really powerful. So, Doug, we, we thank you so much for joining us. I mean, this has been really great wisdom packed in a, in a real compact package, and I think we can all use it. Well, thank you so much. Again, our thanks to Doug Noel. His latest book is called De-Escalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 